Hey, this is Eastlake BBA, and this is our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you. We hope this builds your faith. Enjoy the message. Good evening. Recovered alcoholic. My name is Vinny. Happy New Year. Good to see so many faces. Welcome to anybody that's new, struggling, doing well. Maybe somewhere in between. I was on the ride here and I was thinking, wow, this is awesome. I haven't been to a live meeting in a little bit. Um, still doing a lot of stuff on Zoom, a lot of service. Making that transition for the new year. It's one of the things I was praying on for the last uh, couple of months. Had a nice discussion with my wife about it. And, um, you know, because anytime you transition to a change when you're married, and you have family that you affect, it doesn't just affect you. So to make a plan, and that's what me and my wife do these days, we make plans together that are gonna affect one another. And we discuss it, communication, that's something I'm not used to. You know, before AA, it was just my way at a highway and that's it. If you wanna come along for the ride, you're more than welcome. And today it's actually uh, some kind of consciousness, some, some kind of change that's pretty spectacular. And it affects my, my home, my occupations and affairs. Well, you know, everything, my whole life. The reason why I wanted to talk about this particular topic in step one, desperation like a drowning man. There's a lot of emphasis to it and I'll, I'll get into the book a little bit. So let me just start out by saying, you know, these are coming through the holidays. There's a lot of, a lot of experiences a lot of us have. And it's tough, whether we lost somebody, losing someone, whether it's death or breakups or divorce, separation, whatever. Family, friends, changes in relationships with friends. A lot of that, a lot of that stuff happens. And it's, it's hurtful, it's powerful, and there's a solution for it. So, what made me think about this, let me back up for a second. So I'm on the right here and I'm excited to come into a meeting, a live meeting, I'm gonna be around with some of my friends, some I haven't seen in a while, some I see on a regular basis, people I work with, and it's, it's comforting to be in the same space. And it's not a computer. <laughs> There's a big difference. So I'm talking to God on the right here, I'm driving nice and easy because the roads are a little slick and all of a sudden, you know, the, my topic for tonight started to change. And I was like, oh, here we go. So stay ready, right? Because the only thing that's constant is change. So when I sat in meditation here, which I take very uh, seriously, God started speaking to me again. Started throwing all these pages at me. And maybe somebody needs to hear it. I don't know. But I like to change on the fly because that's how God would have me be today. I'm going to still stay on this topic of step one because I believe uh, not only is it January the first month, but there's a lot of people that are struggling. And they struggle to, they struggle to recognize where their problem is. Like the book talks about the common peril, right? And the reason why I was thinking about this whole thing about desperation because I've worked with a lot of people over the years and not everybody's desperate. You know, and, and it's, not a, it's not a bad judgment. It's just where they're at. 
right? But in my own personal experience, I can only help people that are desperate. And the reason why is because my own experience, right? Let's go back a few years. I was in a lot of pain. I was desperate. I was willing to do anything it takes to get sober, stay sober forever. That was it, period. I was willing to do whatever it took. And I didn't know anything about AA. I didn't know anything about fellowships of different um, organizations. I had no idea. All I knew was therapy and I was messed up. So I had just desperation that I can't even put into words. It was just I was willing to do whatever it took. And not everybody's willing to do whatever it takes. So maybe the pain's not great enough. Maybe they haven't hit their, I don't know, whatever, fill in the blank. Right? Whatever that makes them desperate. So in my story, I ran into this guy and he was like, well, I want you to talk to your wife. We're going to sit down and we're going to read the book once a week. And this is something that becomes before everything. You know, if you deadly sick, I get it, we'll skip a date. But if something else comes in front of this, you gotta question yourself, how important is this to you? And I remember him talking to me like that with authority, with, um, he wasn't aggressive, he was just very assertive, he was very well-mannered, very well-spoken, and he laid out the sincerity of his time, my time, and why am I getting together to do this work? Like, what's so important about the book? I didn't understand it. All I knew is there was a fellowship of AA and that's where I would hang out. But I didn't know that there was a program that had nothing to do with the fellowship. The only thing it had to do with the fellowship is why they got together and fellowshiped was because of the program. And that was you know, straight out of Bill and Bob's mouth. So I was confused, lost, willing to do whatever it takes. So. Going into the book, just to reference what I'm trying to, my point I'm trying to get across, is if, if anybody has read the doctor's opinion, it's part of our first step experience as we sit down with one another to go through this step. And the reason why it's so profound, because he's worked with a lot of alcoholics, a lot of addicts, a lot of just sick individuals. And the biggest thing to, that stands out in the doctor's opinion to me is how he said it to make this of paramount importance, this book. And, I, I, and I, when he first read it to me, I was like, why is, he making, why is he talking about this book to be of paramount importance? Because it's the program I learned, right? This is where the solution is. It's not in the fellowship. It's not in my sponsor. It's in this book, because the book is a vehicle to something even greater. And I'll get into that in a little bit. So I remember the first time going in this book, and he read this to me, and I didn't quite understand it then, but as time, you know, as we all stick around this thing, and we look into the book and we read it with our friends or sponsor and we get deeper involved with it, it starts to feed us even more. So second paragraph of the preface, it tells us because this book has become the basic text for our society 
and has helped such large members of alcoholic men and women to recovery, there exists a strong sentiment against any radical changes being made in it. Therefore, the first portion of this value describing the AA recovery program, period. <laughs> and it's the only literature I just found out most recently, probably in the last year, that states that this is our program. This is the basic text. No other book, even though other books are helpful. I would never uh, talk anybody down to taking any other books. Because anything that's going to bring me to the freedom where I'm at today, along the journey of this program, I welcome it. So with that being said, I remember going to meetings and I remember hearing a lot of different stories and very little that's in this book. And that's the beautiful thing about the Big Book Awakening program. Well, it's not a program, right? It's, it's a fellowship we created among so many of us, right? So we get together to talk about the experience the way we experienced through the Big Book Awakening process turning statements into questions and sitting down with your higher power, your sponsor, friends, and answering these things intimately, authentically, emotionally, right, powerfully. And that's the difference. Line by line, page by page, paragraph by paragraph, page by page. Sometimes we get through two pages, sometimes three. And some of us advanced fellows, we could get through six or seven and have a really deep discussion, right? And then who knows when anybody else, but so the first step to me has become more and more powerful today because I, I hear a lot of stories and I even fell short many times myself in the spiritual malady, the third part of our illness, where I start to use third alternatives to feel better, right? Wherever that is within you. And I get off course and I'm usually the last one to see it. My wife sees it pretty, pretty fast and I'm in denial for a little while until I'm not. And that's the, the pain, the discomfort. That brings me to desperation, which I wasn't too long ago, a couple years ago, where I was going through financial difficulty. I was using a third alternative as far as money and, and debting and overspending and obsessing to fill a void. And I was the last one to see it. And when I seen it, it was horrible. When I finally seen it, it was, it was late. It was too late, right? I don't believe it was too late because I'm here and things are getting better. But I had to get to a place of desperation. That's the bottom line. And pain is what motivated me to that desperation. And what that looked like was the wife was upset. I was upset. A lot of difficulties, a lot of things I couldn't do. Um, a lot of disappointment in myself. A lot of uh, mixed messages, a lot of delusion, a lot of illusion. So what made me desperate? The first step <laughs> helped me see the desperation like a drowning man. Now, if anybody's ever drowned, you know how desperate a drowning man can be. If you try to save them, they'll kill you if you're not trained properly. And I drowned a few times in my life, and uh, it was scary. And I remember nothing else mattered. And the person that was saving me, I was hitting them, pushing them down underwater, kicking them, and a couple times this happened. So I understood that paragraph, right? I understood that statement. So 
if I'm in AA and I'm in the fellowship of big books awakening, more importantly, and I'm hurting, and I'm using a third alternative, what is it going to take for me to have that desperation? Once again. Because the book also talks about me believing I'm like other fellows has to be smashed and re-smashed and re-smashed. Because if I think I'm like someone else, let me, let me rephrase that. If I think I'm like the normal person, the non-alcoholic, the non-addict, I'm in a very terrible place. And I'm talking from my own experience, not just alcohol. My brain does not operate like a non-alcoholic person. It just doesn't. Some people will argue with that. That's fine. I don't. I go into obsession and I go into compulsion. And it's not just with alcohol. Right? What does that look like? Well, it could be food. <laughs> right? I never have just one Oreo. I usually have one sleeve of Oreos. Right? So, you, you, and, and that's being comical, but the truth of the matter is you look at it from any aspect. Gambling. Right? Betting on games, football season, right? Um, whatever. Nicotine, caffeine, sugar. I mean, you, you, the list, you can increase it in infinitum, right? So, what happens with that third alternative? The desperation and a desire to do whatever it takes. Well, it, it, ting, it brings me back to this book, right? So, let me speed things up real quick because I'm going to talk about a couple of things that was bring to me in meditation just a few moments ago. But 28, let's read it. Top paragraph 28. We in our turn sought the same escape with all the desperation of a drowning man. What seemed at first a flimsy reed has proved to be the loving and powerful hand of God. A new life has been given to us, if you prefer, a design for living that really works. To back it up a little bit, to go a uh, paragraph before, to give it some oof. Here was a terrible dilemma in which our friend found himself when he had the extraordinary experience, which, as we have already told you, made him a free man. So the dilemma is, I'm an alcoholic, and I can't do nothing about it. You read something at this meeting when it first started. And one of the things that was said in that reading was just that. The dilemma. I don't have power, choice, or control. So we talk about the first step. You break it down to three, three intervals, right? We have the... Physical phenomenon of craving that the Dr. Pinion calls it. That means when the substance is in my body, I don't tell it when to stop. It tells me when to stop. And I don't know when that is. And I break out in a craving for more. And if it's some dry goods, some drugs or certain drugs, you know that happens when you run out. You, you get desperate. <laughs> like a drowning man. So... Looking at it from two different aspects, the physical phenomenon of craving is real. It's been in my experience. I remember when I first did my 
my first drink, it, it wasn't just a sip of beer. It was guzzling for the effect. I wanted the effect. And then something happened. I wanted more. Right? Then we talk about the mental obsession. Nothing is going to get in between me and what I want. Fixed. I'm on my way home, going to make a right turn to get off exit 10. I skip exit 10, I go to 11 and 12, and I stop at the bar. And I had no plan to do it. That's how powerful the obsession is. That's just one aspect of it, right? And then we look at the spiritual malady that puts it all together. How can I not be desperate when I have this threefold illness that is on me like white on rice? What is the third alternative? Why is it so more important? In my experience, it's to bring me to my knees. It's to bring me to a new experience to see myself. And that's what the first step for me is, is to see how self manifests more self that creates pain and chaos, that I can't do it on my own. It's a mirror, and that mirror is ugly. And if you do the first step like we do it, you're in it for at least six weeks, a minimum. And you're looking at it to a place where you are sick and tired of, of even looking at it. You get so pissed because you're seeing you. And you're not seeing the real you. You're seeing how you've been showing up. You're seeing how this disease manifests itself through you is what you're seeing, right? Is what I'm seeing. So something else in the back of the book that made me think about when I was in meditation there um, really struck home to me too, kind of kind of falls into the place of the desperation of a drowning man. And it just goes to show me how tough I can be. Right? It's in the back of our big book. It's called The Medical View on AA. Right? Because you know who put this together. Doctors, lawyers. The first hundred people, there were many, many professionals, right? Clergymen. There were so many people involved. Spiritual, religious, doctrines, you name it. And one of the men, Dr. Harry M. Tebow, right? He was a psychiatrist at the time. And this is what, what it's in our big book. As a psychiatrist, I have thought a great deal about the relationship of my specialty to AA, and I have come to the conclusion that our particular function can very often lie in preparing the way for the patient to accept any sort of treatment or outside help. I now conceive the psychiatrist's job is to, to be the task of breaking down the patient's inner resistance so that which is inside him will flower as under the activity of the AA program. So ties hand in hand with the desperation of a drowning man, right? I have to get broken down. And the fellowship, armed with the facts of their condition, recovered from a hopeless state of mind and body are armed with those facts to help me break the walls down of the ego of the self, right? So what's this first step? Has it been broken down? I stand in front of you today, I think most of it has. But just a few years ago, I said the same thing. So I don't know what tomorrow brings. I just know what today is, and today's a beautiful day. Not just because I'm sober and recovered, but I have a solution. And I'm armed with the facts of my condition. And I don't want to repeat 
right? I hear a lot of people that fall out of their fourth step. I get it. I'm working with a, with a guy right now that's, I don't know. <laughs> He's somewhere in his fourth step, right? <laughs> and if you look at the beginning, what's it say? We launched into vigorous action, right? Immediately. So if I balk in four and I don't finish and I, and I stay sober, it's not a fourth step problem. It's a first step problem. Have I admitted complete defeat is my answer. Do I have the desperation of a drowning man? Did I get some relief in my first three columns and I'm like, oh, I'm okay now, instead of seeing the miracle, right? Or maybe I stopped in seven because I was confused. Or maybe I stopped in nine because I was afraid to make amends to people that I still hurt. It's a first step problem because I'm not like other people. I need to finish all my amends. I can't half measure it. I need to finish all my inventory because I'm not like other people. That idea has to be smashed over and over again. The whole point I wanted to drive home was have, continue to have that desperation of a drowning man. Continue to have that. Because I stand before you a free man, recovered man, but I'm still desperate. And you know what I'm desperate for? God. Because I can't do it. I tried every known means. And I'm not talking just stopping alcohol and drugs. I'm talking about everything else. My sex life, my relationships, my work, finances, food. Can't do it. So stay desperate. And a happy new year. I love you guys. Pat, I'm an alcoholic, yeah. drug addict, also a member of Al-Anon. Thank you, Vinny. He's beautiful. Um, yeah, desperation of a drowning man. I, uh, and I like you talked about D- Dr. Silkworth, you know. He, um, and I like that you talked about the fellowship. You know, I, I was, uh, I had to be convinced that I was desperate as a drowning man by uh, the man who, approached me, you know, it says in the book, when we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. Um, so I was approached by somebody, and, uh, and he, the problem had definitely, obviously been solved in him, and he said things to me that made me believe he understood me, he understood where I was coming from, and I somehow knew after that encounter that he was right. And all of the things that I've been hearing all my life from people telling me that I had a problem, I believe they were right too. And, and, and I needed this program. And, but before, I, before that desperation, nothing was gonna stop me, nothing. I was only in a meeting because I had a court slip that said I had to be there. And really in hindsight, I could have just forged it. And just, <laughs> Kind of stupid anyway to be there. I could just, but anyway, um, I was desperate to get the court, the cops, you know, the legal problems gone, but I wasn't desperate for a solution from alcoholism. I didn't even believe I had it. Um, so yeah, how to, uh, 
Yeah, I've had a string of people who, you know, um, recently who are, are not, haven't been desperate enough. You know, they, they give up on their fourth step or some of them don't even make it through the first step or some of them don't finish their amends. I miss having some, some desperate people, you know, I, honestly, because it's, it is a little bit disheartening to see people um, not get it, you know, for whatever reason, they're not desperate enough. And it's not a moral virtue to, to finish these steps. It's, uh, it's how do I, you know, they're not desperate enough. I can't blame, I wasn't desperate enough for 20 years in, in, in and out of these rooms from 15 till 35. I, I didn't want to be here. I wasn't desperate. And then even in sobriety to, you know, to keep going back to the, the bad relationship or whatever, you know, whatever it might be. Um, I get it. I did it too. You know, I did that too. Knowing I'm doing what I, I know is bad for me, but I can't seem to stop myself from doing it anyway. Um, and spending, I've done that too. Food, I've done that to everything, everything. It's, uh, um, so, uh, I don't know. I think I'm just desperate enough to stay, you know, just desperate enough to practice this program, um, daily as best, not, not even as best as I can, just, just enough. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's, um, and, you know, I have faith today. That's not a question anymore, you know. Um, I'm in step two right now with a group, and, you know, we're, we've all done this work a few times, and, uh, and we all admitted that, you know, that I, I, I love the big book. I love We Agnostics and going through that chapter. Um, we have faith, but the question is, is God everything, you know, right? <laughs> um, and it's God's everything when I'm, when I'm desperate enough for it, right? When I've tried everything else. Um, you know, even the, um, the pastor at the church service I went to yesterday said the same thing. I mean, obviously, he's a man of faith. Why is God the last, the last place we go? You know, we want to try everything else first. And then get desperate. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's no, it's no moral virtue for any of us, I don't think. I'll, I mean, I'll speak for myself. Um, this, nobody wants to come to AA, you know. <laughs> it's the last place we, we ended up at. And I remember thinking when I was new that it's really sad that you people don't have any other place to go. <laughs> Uh, I'm really glad I have somewhere, somewhere to be after this, but that's, that wasn't true. That wasn't the tr truth is I needed to be here and I desperately needed this program, but I, I didn't, uh, I couldn't see it. And Dr. Silkworth, you know, I love that you talked about him. You know, he's, he's not an alcoholic, he's a neurologist. And he worked with how many alcoholics? Like 50,000 alcoholics or something. He just loved trying to help alcoholics even though he failed with most of them and he knew he, he really couldn't help them. He, he knew but we needed a spiritual experience and he didn't know how to make it happen for us. And he admitted that. He admitted it in, in that book. Yet he still kept trying. So, um, and that was the, the missing link for, for uh, 
at least for Dr. Bob. Dr. Bob was already a man of faith, living by spiritual practices, and he's a doctor, but he couldn't believe that, that alcoholism, uh, you know, as a disease, like Dr. Silkworth puts it, a physical allergy. So that's the missing link, you know, the, knowing that I have a, a physical disease that I can't fix myself, and then the spiritual solution. So, um, and believing that that's the only thing that's going to work. Um, and it's, it's been proven. It's, it's true. I mean, I, st- I don't know why. Why do I have to try everything else? You know, I don't know if I'm just bored, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, glad to be here. Thanks. I'm Miguel, and I'm an alcoholic, addict, all of the above. Feeling as desperate as a drowning man, right? Man, I guess that was the beginning of last year. Um, I was a drowning man. I was drowning in uh, not just alcohol, but in what I do, you know? Um, not having it, running away from everything by drowning myself. So, like, committing, like, almost like a self-sabotage, self-suicide thing, you know what I mean? Uh, not mean suicidal, but meaning like in, in the way I'm trying to put it, right? So I was like self-sabotaging myself, right? By drowning myself. I never felt desperate enough to accept that I needed help or that I had a real problem. You know, and, and I've gone through this for a long time. You know I mean, never really did the, the whole AANA thingy majigger, you know? Because uh, young and reckless and never really care, you know? But, <laughs> but... About two years ago, around this time, December 19th, 2019, I finally decided to say, you know what, I need help. And that's where the desperateness comes in. I was drowning and reaching for somebody to grab me, you know, and I finally admit it, you know, hey, I need help. I can't do this. And it's just leading me nowhere, you know, even when, when things that, the things that I do, within the alcohol, the bad decisions and bad choices and stuff, you know? Everything was voiding that hole that we're trying to, that I was trying to fill, you know what I mean? I was trying to fill in this void in me, you know? And I've been trying to fill that void since I was like 16, you know? And um, I finally admit it, yo, I didn't know how to ask, I didn't know, because I was so prideful. And again, that's a weight in the way I put it, that was just a weight on my leg, you know, like when the prisoner gets chopped off the side of the boat, right? Um, he gets pulled down by it. So my pride was anchoring me down. My pride anchored me down. I didn't know how to ask. I was never taught to ask. I was always taught to work your butt off for it and get what you want and don't let nobody tell you that, you know? And that, that was the, when I realized that, you know, that's not that way, you know? I got into some trouble last year Again, going through the grieving process like you started talking about. I lost my uncle around this time last year. It was a long, it was a long, very long process, really sad process where we had to pull the plug. We had to make choice to pull the plug or not. So it was one of those, you know, it took a long thing. So he left two daughters, you know, little young girls, right? And, and I'm over here just running away from emotions, not being able to coping with things. Picked up a part-time job at night so I wouldn't go home running away, just running away from the motions again. And I began to drown myself again. Three months into having that part-time job, you know, I caught a case, 
Because uh, when I'm emotional and under the influence, I'm very emotional, very aggressive, and very violent. And I just, you know, it happened all over again. You know, the, the part of insanity, my pride, everything. You need to pay me. You don't know what I'm going through. And it led me into trouble. I've always known of God, but I've always rebelled against God. You know, and then you, the last guy we shared, you know, talk about how we come to, la to God as a last resource, you know. I, I came to God as my first resource when I was young, you know, but I rebelled so much because I felt I was forced to go to church. I was forced to seek him. So I rebelled against God and my grandpa. Moved out at 17. Like, I got a job. I'm doing this. I'm serving the country like that, this, this, and that. You know, I'm going to go do my own thing just to rebel against you. You know what I mean? And I did that. All in just to rebel in spite of my grandpa. My grandma would always tell me, oh, you know, God's going to call you. When he does call you, it's going to be real. I'm like, mm, okay, grandma. You know, and he did. He did. And again, I rebelled. I finally said, this happened once. I'm not getting any younger. Things started to hurt now. You know, I'm starting to realize things now, getting into those resentments. And it's all because, again, I was drowning at the beginning of last year. And I was able to swallow it up and actually ask the court to help me out. Something I've never done in my whole life. You know, when we don't ask the court for help. So I, I let go of the anchor. I found a way to pull it off, saw it off, you know what I mean? And get back to, get back to the surface. And I asked for help. I asked for help. And I'm digging into these resentments, digging really deep into them, like stuff that I didn't think I was ever going to talk about. You know, the ones that you talk with your sponsor on night night, you know, those ones. <laughs> you know, and um, I got one of the big ones out of the way, like one of those really big ones, you know. And, you know, I'll start with that. You know, because that's another anchor that was holding me down. And just little by little, you know, all these little weights, you know, when you go fishing, you got all these little kinds of weights, all these little weights are just dropping down now. And getting, big, get, getting rid of the bigger ones helps you float more, you know. I'm a girl and I'm an addict, yeah. <laughs> Name's Louie and I am an alcoholic. Louis. Welcome to the newcomers and to those that were here last week. You know, you guys, you guys are a miracle. Thank you. Um, man, you covered so much, you know, there's a lot in there. You know, uh, when I went through the process, I was frustrated and pissed off because I didn't understand what my egoic mind was going through, you know, and I, I try and I went over it again and still didn't understand until I stumbled upon another group. And then they explained to me the front end of that, which is my alcoholic, alcoholism, ego and self. And I love Tebow. I'm a big fan of Tebow, you know, and he gets his work from Freud with the the id, the superego and the little ego and the in the middle is the balancer you know because what what Tebow had, what he had mentioned is what Vinny mentioned is that you know Tebow Tebow's a psychiatrist back in the mid 40s late 40s early 30s and he owned a recovery home and he heard about Dr. Bill and Bob over there you know they were having a success with these alcoholics they were staying sober and his alcoholics were not so he came over and sat with them and wanted to know and so uh, they invited him to like, you know, come on, come on aboard and uh, be on the board by, you know, and he was up by proxy and he got to study the alcoholics that had time. And the time was only like a year. That, that was the first 100 that you had mentioned. Thank you for bringing that up. 
you know, and it just tells me that time doesn't cure alcoholism. It's, it's what, I, what I have in this moment, you know. Um, I, I have alcoholism, and I will always have it, you know. Um, yes, you have to seek this as a life man, as a drowning man seeking the life preserver, you know, with all fervor. You know, that's what, that's what this is about, for me anyway. And it's because I want to stay sober, you know. And, uh, you know, I had to go through the steps again, you know, because I'm not, I'm not a smart man by any means. I'm not a college grad. I, you know, I dropped out of high school. I dropped out of community college, you know, things like that. But I found a group that took the time to explain these things to me, which made my surrender a lot easier when I started to apply one, two, and three, you know. Because I was aware of the moment that I'm in with my alcoholism, my fault-finding mind, the way I look at the world. See, I've drank myself into such an oblivion that my mind is warped. So anything that I see or I perceive is warped. The way I look at you, the way you, I think that you're thinking about me, that's what causes the, you know, the mistakes, the, my alcoholism, myself, because you know, I know that self is right. I know that person is thinking about me that way. You know, and then I and then I'm belligerent. And then, you know what? I have to write a for, you know, and go through the steps and make an amends and, you know, and practice. And so, you know, it, it's amazing that this process is a life, an ongoing process. It's a life changing process because the character I brought in here, you know, is still the character that I have. However, by going through like what you said, the surrender and, and Tebow says it best, man. You know, uh, 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 he, he he says, you know, um, it would be it would be humorous. No, no, no. The ability to bypass experience would be humorous, and it not be tragic. Time and time and time again, and that means that you know, I'm 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 just a you know, I have this problem. But when I come here. And in order for me to feel this act of surrender by hitting my bottom, that's when I can experience this humility, you know, to absorb, to, to open up, to learn more about myself, to change the character. And we do that later on. Um, but I, I look at step one as two parts. You know what I mean? I could talk all about the unmanageability, or excuse me, the admitting. That's the first part of my step. That's, that's drinking. That's what I was, you know. My life was unmanageable when I come here, yes, because everything's gone. Because, I, you know, I'm an alcoholic. However, now that that solution is gone, my thought life is unmanageable. And so now I'm aware of my thought life, you know. And th those are the things that I'm aware of today, you know. And, and by God's grace, you know, um, I, I learned to practice these principles and put those in my life. I know I'm a little all over the place, but it's... It, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, for me, you know, I get up and I don't let the vultures pick at me. You know, I do my prayer, I do my meditation and I listen to something, some kind of speaker, you know, and I'm free from myself. That's what, that's what I'm trying to convey to you. It's the freedom from yourself. You know what I mean? And like you said, you will be recovered. Thank you. My name is Oliver and I'm an alcoholic. Oliver. Oh, yeah.
Vinny, you spoke so much truth, man. I mean, it's, there was so much in what you said. And you know, I've been thinking down here, and it's, you know, we alcoholics, we're tragic, or at least I'm a tragic. I'm a tragedy, man. And let me tell you why I'm a tragedy, because I was born with a condition that I always never felt good enough. It's as simple as that, man. I always had a void in my stomach, so the pain that I, that I endured all my life, through no fault of my own, was there. You see, somebody was saying right now that doing all these things to try to fill that void. And that's exactly what I did. And I tried everything. I was successful in my career, man. I got two marriages. I mean, fuck, I had a lot of friends. I was popular. I did everything that the world told me I needed to do in order to fill this void and be happy, right? Guess what, man? The more I had, the worse I felt. <coughs> and I didn't know what it was. The only thing that gave me some relief was drugs and alcohol. That was my power, man. Thank God for drugs and alcohol, man. I tell you right now. Uh, you know, for me, they were always my solution. They were never my problem until the end. So, so what happened to me, man? I had to try everything. And by everything, I mean everything. Treatment centers, meetings, uh, codependency, man. I thought I, if I lose my girl, I was going to die. Uh, I have gained and dropped 60 pounds more than 10 times in my life. I love food, man. And, and sometimes I use food just to get off the anxiety, you know? Shopping, spending money, fuck credit card debt. I mean, everything. And everything in search of what? Some peace of mind, some serenity, right? Of a condition that I cannot control. That's a condition that I was born with. That's spiritual malady. That's why I drink. That's why I use drugs. If I didn't have that, I wouldn't be an alcoholic, therefore I could have a drink or two, and then life would be fine, but I can't. That's one of the ingredients that, that I was born with. So for me, it was very important to understand that I was born with this condition. This is not something that I picked up when I was walking through life. and said, oh shit, I'm gonna suffer. I think I'm gonna suffer. I, I think I'm gonna feel like a piece of shit. I think I'm gonna feel left out. I think I'm gonna feel unworthy. I mean, I think that's, that's, a, good, that's a good way of, of, of feeling, right? So I had to do all these things in order for me to feel whole. And then what happens, man? When I did it all, you know, I stopped drinking when I was 21 years of age, man. When you guys in America are legal, in Mexico, I really was done with my drinking career. I went to treatment, I went through sobriety for 10 good years, man. And I made a lot of money and I did a lot of good stuff. You know, I achieved success very, very young, but, but I guess it wasn't, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. I wasn't desperate enough. So I did a little bit of pills here and there and here and there, and all of a sudden I had a, I was hooked. And I did it for 15 years. So, you know, in the way, a lot of stuff that I did work, man, gave me this instant gratification that I felt good. When you go and buy a new car, man, fuck, it feels good. Fuck, look at you, man, you're proud of yourself. Look what you have accomplished, right? Your business grows and you feel like the shit. You get a pretty woman, it's like, of course. They can't live without me, right? I mean, all this shit that you tell yourself, right? I mean, that's just the way that it is. Until what? Until everything is gone. The gift of desperation. And I love what Beanie says, man. I love to work with desperate people. The more you're hurting, the more I will love you. Because it's easy. If you ever swam at the ocean or a pool and you truly felt the feeling of drowning, if you have ever felt the feeling of drowning, you'll understand what that line means. I have felt drowning my, in my life twice. 
and it was in the ocean, and I thought I couldn't reach the surface to breathe. And it feels horrible. And that's exactly how I felt this time around that I came back to AA. Whatever my sponsor would have told me to do, I would do. But the problem that I had when I came here is that they asked me to show something that I can't see, touch, feel, hear. I mean, this gut thing. I mean, AA's like, what the fuck is that? I mean, it's, it's, it's a hard... Pr- you know, I've been, I'm a Mexican, I'm a Catholic, I've been to churches all over my life. I mean, you want to see faith in Mexico, you see people on their knees for miles, man, to see the Virgin Guadalupe every, every 12 of December, right? So I've been to churches, I've, I mean, I did everything, confirmation, first communion, I go to the Father and confess all the time, but that shit didn't work for me. It never worked for me, because I prayed to God and he didn't give me any peace, he just gave me my fucking trouble, that's what I thought. <laughs> So I thought God was for the weak. That's, that's the truth. You know, it's for all these people that don't have the will to keep on going with life and they believe in God and then they go at it. So anyhow, all that stuff went away when I found myself in my closet with a gun in my mouth. I just wanted to die because I tried it all. You have to try it all, right? If you're like me. And until you don't have any more plants from A to C, they're all gone. And you have nothing? That's what I needed in order for me to look at that book. And today the God that I have is a God that I understand, that works in my life. But it's not until I was there, man, that I could get it. It's impossible to get it any other way, man. That's, that's my experience. And to close, all of you and every alcoholic, the only thing that we need to do is to consciously think about our past and see all the shit that we have done. And I guarantee you the desperation will come but it's so hard to see. Thank you. Bernie alcoholic. Hardcore blackout alcoholic. Um, yeah, drowning. I've been drowning for 38 years. Um, you know, 38 years of drowning. You know, God, man, God save my soul, Salvation Army save my life. I'll tell you that. Man. See, today, last year, I was busted. I was locked up. For my ninth DUI. Same day, busting. Got busted on New Year's Eve. Piece of shit, Dad. I got busted on my son's birthday. You know? And, uh... You know, just look. I have 162 days sober right now. Thank God. Thank God. See, ever since I surrendered my life to God, everything has been a blessing. Everything. You know, I got the love back from my kids, my my parents. You know, it's it's a great feeling. You know, I've never been sober in my life. 38 years of drowning. And first Halloween sober. First Thanksgiving sober. First Christmas over, New Year's, awesome. You know, Thanksgiving, you know, go and visit my home family and uh, they asked me, a drunk, that no one wanted to be around, you know, because I was selfish, self-centered, to bless, to bless the meal, you know, that was a blessing itself, you know. Everybody running to me, you know, instead of running away from me like before, you know, that was, that was really awesome, you know. New Year's Eve, spent it at the Salvation Army. That was awesome. Sober, having fun. I got to, re- I remember everything I did. 
Ask me what I did last year. Don't remember nothing. You know, I came to, I was already in jail when I came to crash a car. You know, then three months later, I get my 10th DUI. Yeah, so on July 26th last year, I made the best decision, I, and the only best decision I've ever done in my life is to join the Salvation Army and put myself to it, because I'm not through court, you know. And um, ever since that day, I surrendered my life, and things have been moving really good. And AA's help. Listen to everybody's stories. Um, you talking about your story helps other people, you know. And it's, it's, it's a blessing, you know. And, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to stay sober because uh, I need to make my, my family proud, you know. But not just for them. I need to do this for myself, first of all. And um, Happy New Year, everybody. Thank you. Bernie Alcoholic. Hello, Arlene Alcoholic and Drug Addict. Also a very codependent person. Um, <laughs> when I think of the first step and, and the whole... Um, well, doing the steps, uh, the story of the guy that kept crossing the street and kept getting hit. Um, that was me with my codependency. It's still, you know, I guess kind of is. Um, that was that was a big one for me. That is a big one. That's been like the biggest thing besides the alcohol and the drugs is the damn codependency because it was like a great adrenaline rush. And I kept hooking up with other addicts, you know, but expecting them to see me like the Virgen de Guadalupe and them come crawling on their knees with two rocks on their hands to come worship me. And, you know, since that wasn't happening, you know, they didn't really love me. It wasn't true. They didn't love me. They weren't on their knees. Um, so, yeah, what a, what a poop show. Uh, I don't remember what I was doing last year for New Year's also. I have, I don't, I don't remember. I don't, I, I don't remember if I stayed home and babysat on my grandkids or if I was out drunk and coked out. Um... But I do know that this has been the first holidays that I have spent sober. <clears throat> I got to close the year uh, coordinating the AA meeting that Saturday on the 31st. Um, and man, that, that, was, that was just like the, a huge gift for me, just that alone. Um, to know that I was, you know, sober for pretty much, you know, the rest of the year. Um, spiritual wise it, it was God who brought me here I I was in a situation because of my codependency um, you know as with a violent person and and I remember hearing God tell me you know you got to start with you Arlene but we have such a um, <laughs> our mind is, we, we just have like these absurd mental thoughts um, and I remember, and it was God talking to me, but I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, I still didn't know what he was, how, you know, like, I, I know it's God telling me that I need to start with, with myself, but, but it couldn't dawn in on me, like, how or what, you know, what is, what are you talking about? How, or what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to fix? And, uh, you know, it, it took coming, I, I came to church and I asked for prayer and, and that's where it hit. I, I need to 
I need to take care of my addiction. I need to take care of my alcoholism. I need to take care of, you know, liking the way cocaine feels. And I need to take care of um, what I use for adrenaline, which is toxic men that I, you know, end up in violent situations with. Um, so yeah, there is a lot to take care of um, with myself. And honestly, I, you know, coming here, doing the workshop, is it's just it's gotten me closer um but it's a day it's a daily it's a daily job um it's a daily every day is a day that you can either move forward and stay sober or you can easily you know fall back if you don't stick to the tools that you have here um I saw the movie Whitney Houston today. It's just so sad how, how you know, how she ended up. Um, but yeah, if you don't feel that desperation and you don't remember what that feels like, it, you can very easily trick yourself into being like another normal person and going out somewhere like a normal person and being around alcohol. And, you know, or going to a, a party where, you know, there's going to be drugs. Um, and and we can't. Like, I this, this last time, I was in such a bad situation. Not just with, with, you know, the toxic relationship, but the way I was, you know, drinking. That it's true. You have to be that desperate to be able to say, okay, I'm, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. When you do your third step, I'm willing to just let you take over my life from here on out because I'm, I just continuously make the same mistakes. And when you get out of it, you feel good enough to where you forget the desperation and then you go right back to it. So being here and coming back to my meetings over and over, especially hearing the new people, it reminds you of that desperation for a place you left and to never go back. Thank you. I'm Jason, recovered drug addict and alcoholic. Love all you guys. So cool to see you here, Vinny. So blessed to have you in my life, brother. Vinny see me be desperate, right? And the funny thing is he could not make me be desperate, right? He's seen that mental obsession on me like white on rice. That's what he told me. I told him it's crazy. Right. And what I want to understand is that nobody can make me be desperate. Nobody. And as I force my will on other alcoholics and drug acts that I don't think are desperate enough, I'm robbing them of their desperation. See, desperation has to come from inside. It has to be a willingness. You got to want it. You got to want it. And when I, <clears throat> you're reading about what at first seemed to be a flimsy reed, right? I'm a fisherman. So that's those little tulies that grow on the side of the lake. You cannot grab that and save yourself when you're drowning. You'll drown. You can't grab enough of them to pull yourself out of the water. But it turns out to be the powerful and loving hand of God, right? So when I come in here desperate after a relapse or an initial time through the doors, that's a certain level of desperation. I, I do my work. I have the spiritual experience. I asked myself today, what is my current level of desperation? What, where am I at right now? What does that look like in my life? 
Am I meditating daily? Am I praying daily? When I pray, do I get on my knees? Am I, am I looking at steps 10 and 11 daily in my recovery so that I can keep that portion of my triangle solid? Um, it's super important to me to, to be that desperate, and nobody can give that to me. I can tell you that over and over and over and tell you what I do. It doesn't matter. That's got to be something that comes from the, from the soul, from the willingness. What's always inspired me is you guys that have years of sobriety, right? And you become desperate enough to come in here to a whole new process of Big Book Awakening and embark on the steps and have a more deep and effective spiritual experience. That, to me, is so admirable and so powerful. That has to take so much humility. It's one thing to come in here and be desperate and need to work the steps. It's one thing to go out and relapse and come back and take the steps. But it's a whole other thing, man, to have years of recovery and to willingly walk in here and say, I am lost, I am hurting, I am dying, and I'm sober. Help me. And to watch the Big Book Awakening process help those men and women is one of the most powerful things that I witnessed in here, and it drove me to come here, even though I came here behind a relapse. Because, see, that's what it took for me to get desperate. There's no way I'm going to be 10, 15 years sober. I'm too full of pride. And say, dude, I'm hurting. I need help. Who's, how many people do we know in AA that would not be willing to do that? I need to go through this process again. I have not had the vital spiritual experience that the book talks about. I have not profoundly changed my outlook on life. That takes a lot of humility. I know there's men sitting in here that have done that. And I respect you guys. And that's awesome, right? My desperation had to come from getting loaded again. And nobody could bring me back in here. So today I look at that powerful hand of God. What it is for me, <clears throat> God is everything or he's nothing, right? And in my life, what I've understood is once God is everything, after the steps are completed, he can no longer be nothing. See, so I ask myself this question. If, if there's agnosticism in my life, and there is, right? It's okay for me to say that God isn't necessarily everything. Because when God is everything, he will never be nothing again. That's how strong and powerful I believe in my higher power. That's a lifetime journey. But to admit it, to talk about it, to be okay and humble enough to say, you know, well, maybe God isn't everything. Because the minute that I, my agnosticism pops up and I don't believe that he can get me past something, is God really everything? That's like taking my will back. I can't take something I turn over. I'm not giving anything. I'm turning it over. I'm surrendering it, right? And so when God becomes everything, that's real desperation. And when God's everything on a daily basis through continued step work and service, that's God being everything in your life. And I got a long way to go to get there, but it's okay to admit that because then it becomes real. Then, then I have to look at my, where's my desperation? Like, where is it really at? And how much of a priority is this to me? Because if I put AA in front of everything else, the thing that I understand is that AA is everything. See, it's not like AA in front of my wife and in front of my work and in front, no. God is everything. God is all loving and all powerful. Therefore, AA is everything. Within AA is my wife and my, my job and my finances and all my other spiritual malady baloney that goes on in my life. So 
when I look at it like that, it, it can be the most important thing in my life. And through that, everything is more important than me because then I'm really desperate. So thanks for me share. Okay. Thank you, Jason. Hi, my name is uh, David, and I am an alcoholic. And Vinny, thank you so very much, my friend. You know, I just uh, remember, you know, this is a beautiful thing, you know. Beautiful thing just to think that I'm not alone. Because for a long, long time, I thought I was the only one with these feelings, with these problems, with these troubles, with this goddamn crazy shit, you know. <laughs> you know, this stuff that you said, Vinny, oh my gosh, you know, I just salivate when you, when you, when you, when you talk and uh, talking about, uh, about uh, BBA is my life now. You know, I remember clearly, vividly, when I uh, get out of, of work and I, I, I say to myself millions of times, I'm going straight home. But all of a sudden, my horse is, you know, uh, uh, torn on Route 88. <laughs> the next time, my horse turns to Route 70. You're from New York, you know, I'm from New Jersey. Well, I've lived a long time from New Jersey. Next time was 35 because I know where all the bars were. You know, I'm just stopped just for one and this, this is it, you know. My goodness, you know, uh, the, the, the desperation when I get home, you know, and I'm all loaded and I'm thinking my crazy head, you know, am I going to be able to sleep tonight? Do I have enough stash all over the place, all over the house, all over the leaves outside of the, uh, the street, you know, in case I get up with the shakes, you know, and I cannot go to work or I cannot shave? You know, that's this desperation, man, you know. Going out in the, in the snowstorm and with the snow at three feet high and you woke up in the middle of the night or the, or, you know, little sleep that you have and you cannot find your stash, you know, and you go and knock at the door or your neighbor that doesn't drink and hoping that he has some leftovers so that you can really have a little peace of mind and thinking maybe I'm going to sleep you know, enough till seven or eight o'clock that the liquor stores open. And maybe if I had the shakes, maybe I can call some of my guys and say, look, you know, please bring me a six pack. Or bring me whatever, if gasoline, you know, I don't care what they give it. You know, I drink everything, name it. I never drink for the taste. I drink for the effect that it gives me. You know, this is how my life was. So I thought for a long time that I was alone that you guys, don't even think about the thoughts that I have, you know, in my uh, uh, week of, of, of desperation, or in my path of alcoholic, you know. But, you know, desperation, you know, when I, when I uh, start doing BBA with a lot of you guys, you know the desperation that I have because I didn't have any choice anymore, the transcription from one book to another. I did it for hours, guys, is how desperate I was. Hours and hours and hours because I can figure it out how to put the cotton book like this and in little spaces and I had to put all this shit and in English and on top of every cotton thing, you know, I'm going, what is this cotton paragraph, you know, where am I going to put it? It's not in here for crying out loud. Where is it? It's how desperate I was, my friends, you know, but I finished it all, you know, and all, it's, it's all, you know, crazy shit that I read. I had to buy another one. It's how desperate I am, you know, how desperate I was, you know. And like, you know, like you've been saying about these desperate guys, you know, I, I never imagined that I can sponsor people, you know. 
I have so many spons. Uh, uh, what do you call them? You got sponsors, yes. That is a lifesaver for me, you know. And this is how life, you know, you know, the faith that I got here and the God that I have here, I have to be always like this, you know, time after time. And guess, guy, you can live a wonderful, wonderful life, you know. So the only thing is that I got to remember every time, every morning, how I got here and the stuff that I had to do in the daily basis. Well, anyway, I think the time is over. Again, my name is David, and I am an alcoholic. And this is all the time we have for sharing. Quotes that have been signed, you can pick them at the closing of the meeting. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe at eastlakebba.com. You can also help us reach others by spreading the word about our podcast. Thank you for joining us today on the East Lake Big Book Awakening Podcast.